the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Sideline Sanity with me, Michelle Tafoya, sponsored by Legacy Precious Metals. There has never been a better time to invest in precious metals. Go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. LegacyPMInvestments.com. Coming up, we talk a lot about slavery. Do you know there's a lot of slavery going on in the United States right now? And it's mostly of young women. That's coming up. For nearly three decades, she's reported the action from the sidelines. She started very young. She's covered the NBA, NFL, Olympics, and the college football and basketball national championships. And now, during these insane times in our world, Michelle Tafoya thinks we need a serious dose of sanity. This is Sideline Sanity with your host, one of the sanest people on planet Earth, Michelle Tafoya. Welcome once again to Sideline Sanity. You know, I've heard a lot about human trafficking and and we hear it in terms of bringing people across the border, the coyotes who bring them across the border. And, and But we don't know the full extent, I think, here in this country of what is going on with human trafficking, especially when it comes to young girls. And it's, I'm about to unveil it for you. If you haven't heard, if you don't know, um, and I'm really, really happy to have a couple of guests with me today that can talk about this like no one else can. They are co-authors of the book, Men Fight for Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking. And they are Alan Smith and Jessica Midkoff. Did I say that? Mid- Midkiff. I'm sorry, Jessica, Midkiff. My bad. How are you guys? Doing well. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for being here. Jessica, let me start with you. You were trafficked. How old were you when you were entrapped into that lifestyle? Uh, it started early on. Um, and I got introduced to it very early. Uh, fully started seeing it around 10. Really was fully into it by 11. Um, and it just kept going from there. A lot of people can't remember life when they were 10 years old. I imagine you can't forget it. What do you remember experiencing that felt like maybe this wasn't the, this was not right? Uh, It never felt right, but my home life never felt right. Um, A lot of kids that we work with, this is like the same story is or or the majority of the time it's the same story is it doesn't feel right it just never felt right however um this was what was kind of mapped out for me so it was a big part of acceptance for me rather than me feeling as though it was right or wrong it was just this is my life these are the cards that are dealt to me and you know hopefully it'll get better but in my mind i just didn't really see it getting any better 
when you're 10 and 11 years old, you probably feel like you don't have control. I imagine these people who were bringing you into this lifestyle were older. What, what exactly, what exactly happened? Can you, can you take us through what you do remember and, and what, how it started? So actually in our book, there's a lot of that information in there, but just to kind of give a, a bit of a re uh, a bit of an opening for it is a big thing for me was um, there was a lot of abuse in the home. There was a lot of <clears throat> preconditioning before um, these certain people were able to start getting their hands on, <clears throat> excuse me. Let me do that again. Um, there was a lot of preconditioning uh, before, you know, certain people started to get their hands on me. And it, it, we don't have all day, <laughs> but um, it was just basically the grooming in home and finally leading to the streets where the grooming just kind of picked up and continued and the exploitation um, grew bigger and bigger. And so for me, it was like an escape from one thing to another, even though it wasn't great. Um, how you how you mentioned earlier on where it's like, I really don't have this control and I didn't feel in control um, when I was able to escape to the streets because that's what it was. There was this false sense of control. And a lot of our kids, too, they this is a, a common theme for a lot of our kids. And um, this is something that I saw with a lot of young ladies in the streets and this is how we bonded and this is how we were able to like kind of build a rapport or some type of camaraderie. So there was a level of acceptance. Um, so, so you're saying that in a way getting out of your house and onto the streets gave you some sort of measure you felt at that time, some measure of escaping the abuse at home and then moving on to the sort of the next phase of, you know, this is my life. Yes. It, it It's, it moved from me not being able to control people around me that I knew that were doing things to me over to strangers that, that did things to me. But I was presented with something where it was like, well, at least you can charge. So it's really that false sense of control or the false sense of control for me. Um, and it was a dream sold to me where it was basically no one has to hurt you anymore. You can use what's been done to you and make some money for it. And therefore that's your value. So it was someone giving value to me, me not knowing any better. Alan, let's bring you in here. How did you and Jessica become connected? I uh, came to work for the uh, current uh, employer called Saving Innocence. We're an anti-human trafficking uh, agency based in Los Angeles, California. And so about seven years ago, I stepped in on the executive director there. And then soon after I uh, came to work there, we hired Jessica uh, because of her lived experience. We call Jessica a lived experience expert. And um, and uh, so we, we met each other and built a rapport right away. Um, I, I, I had a lot to learn about the space when I showed up. And so I was instantly drawn to Jessica because Jessica has a lot she can teach me. And she's, she's still teaching me right up until today. And I, I just add Michelle real what quick. Was, can I yeah. real quick, just to piggyback on what um, Jessica said and your, the, the, the questions asking like, what, like what actually happened? I, I'd refer 
for a little more information, uh, not only the book we'll talk about, but I'd refer you guys to savingsus.org. Right on the homepage, there's a there's a video of uh, a dear friend of ours and colleague, uh, survivor, sharing her story. And she goes into some detail and just not to over dramatic, but it's real common her experience where she says between uh, at 11 years old, I was forced to sleep with between seven and 15 men every single day. And then she said, by the time I was 12 years old, I had already been raped 4,000 times. So that sort of sets the stage for children in our country. These are U.S. born American citizens, for the most part, that are minors. That's the life they are forced. They haven't chosen it. They're forced to endure. So I just want to wrap that up um, and, and add a little more. Uh, yeah, no. Right. So people can go to savinginnocence.org. That's yeah. the, that's the, the website where they can learn more. So as you said, you stepped into this organization. You had a lot to learn. We all have a lot to learn. Yeah. I, I would start with, you know, when we hear trafficking, we think of trafficking cross border. We think of, you know, we hear about some of these major events, uh, sporting events, gambling events, what conventions, whatever it is where people are trafficked in yeah. for the entertainment of others. How would you describe, if you can, in a in a nutshell, what trafficking means here in the United States? And and I'm sure it's a, a bit multifaceted. There, like you said, there these are you're talking about some citizens, some U.S. citizens being yeah. trafficked. But I'm certain there are people who are being trafficked across our border as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it, trafficking does get a lot of press around something like the Super Bowl and other kind of major events. And certainly trafficking does happen anytime large groups of predominantly men are gathered and they are gathered around events and shows and uh, sports and others. But what your listeners need to understand is happening 365 days a year. And there may or may not be actually more trafficking at the Super Bowl. It's just, I mean, it, nationally, they're just concentrated in that city. Traffickers are bringing their property the ones that they are asserting ownership over, that they are trafficking into a city. And maybe there's some brand new victims, certainly, but um, <clears throat> they're mobile and they're agile and they're, and they're opportunistic. And so it's happening every single day in every city in America. You could say every zip code. Um, it's the fastest growing crime in the world because there's such an appetite for the abuse of others and the vulnerability of others. <sighs> think about that an appetite for the abuse and vulnerability of others just that statement alone is enough to turn your stomach yeah and you say it's growing in spite of the fact that we have so much more attention being paid to it how is it able to be growing i i, I suppose a lot of crime is on the rise right so this is no exception right well it's interesting because there is more attention like you're having us on your on your podcast. Thank you. I, I watch you for years on the sidelines. So it's fun to be with you in this way. So there are more things like that happening for sure. But there's also a parallel track of a certain group of people, whoever they may be, that think it's a good idea to have less police, not more police. And, and there's actually a group of people that are trying to fully decriminalize all things, quote, prostitution. So there we're at, we're at war and at battle in our own country with adults who are misguided and don't understand what's actually happening. Uh, there's addiction, there's narcissism, there's all the things that Americans have, and it's happening around the world, of course, but here in our country, um, the, it's just a hard crime to prosecute because there aren't as many people out looking for the perpetrators. 
And even in certain cities and certain states, some of the laws are being dismantled that would actually provide the penalties that are necessary. So it's a really frustrating time right now because um, we're fighting not only the perpetrators, but we're fighting, uh, you know, society and public in some ways, too. Yeah. You said something and I want to ask you and then get back to Jessica on her experience with this. You said these people that do the trafficking are owners. They basically yeah. own these subjects, these these slaves, if you will, these sex slaves. Yep. How, how does that how does that relationship take place? How, how does someone find and and enslave someone to do their bidding? Well, it's important to know that um, that it's predatory behavior. There are men and women, mostly men, that are actual predators, and they're 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 seeking out vulnerability. This is a financial transaction. They're they're not they're, they may present themselves as a as a boyfriend or a dad of sorts to someone who's vulnerable, someone who needs uh, attention and affection and protection. Someone, as you as Jessica mentioned in her story, she was in some ways forced to leave her home because the abuse was so bad. Now that 10, 11, 12 year old is uh, vulnerable to the outside world. And the predators smell that, they see that, and they come alongside and they start offering false promises and um, become the protection and the supplier of tangible needs that that child needs. And they're grooming all the while they have terrible intentions, but um, they don't present themselves as being terrible right off the bat. And, yeah, they assert ownership. I mean, falsely, they don't own them, obviously, but this is called the modern day slavery. There's more slaves today than at any time in human history because there's some group of people that think it's okay to own and exploit and abuse another person. And they assert ownership that slave, if you will, is not allowed to talk back, not allowed to question, not allowed to say no. They're told and allowed to do whatever the owner uh, permits. And Soon it turns tragically abusive, and now there's no way out. Jessica, how does that what 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 Alan just described? How does that compare with with your experience? Did you feel owned? Almost definitely. Um, one of the things that exploiters will do is they brand their property like you know a farmer would brand their cattle. We go into the grocery store, we see a product with the label of the company. It's the same, um, it's the same thinking. And so actually I have a branding on my neck that I, I still have from the life. There's two of them. Um, and I remember it was some years back, but as an adult and I was able to escape the life, um, where some of my old exploiters would reach out to me through, um, on social media and tell me, well, you haven't covered that up. You haven't gotten rid of it. So you still belong to me. There was still this. They're, they're referring to the, to the branding, to the tattoo on your neck. And I I have a few all over my body. One of the big ones I was able to get covered up. Um, But yeah, it's like, you didn't get rid of this. You didn't get rid of these brands. This is my identifier. You can't escape me. So it was very real, even after being out of the life and actually being a few years into doing this work in the anti-human trafficking realm, where they still felt bold enough to reach out to me, where it was, you belong to me, you are my property. And I'm saying it more in a PG way. (laughs) Um, Yes. And so, um, you know, it's very real. 
you know, I mean, we've had girls over the years that were trying to leave the life and, you know, they were trying to go to school and, you know, they started getting a support system built around them. And we've had kids taken from the bus stop where exploiters were waiting for them at school, um, where, you know, it's like, you belong to me. You don't have a life of your own. How dare you try to leave me? And then once the, the girl is basically kidnapped, you know, you don't even want to imagine the things that they go through because they've attempted to leave, you know? And so, and sometimes we didn't see them anymore. We couldn't find them. Um, and so that's how deep and how serious it run, like it goes and it runs is the ownership piece is very huge. If you try to leave, you're going to leave through jail or death. That's how it was for so long. Um, and even my old exploiter, if the police were not able to come in, I probably more than likely would have ended up dead because there was no leaving. It's I'm going to let you go when I feel ready. All right. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll we'll find out how Jessica was able to leave and then touch on this book, Men Fight for Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking. Alan Smith, Jessica Midkiff are our guests. We're going to hear how Jessica got away after this. Wow, there's a lot going on in the world right now. It does not feel real stable, does it? I mean, we've got inflation. So even if your wages are rising, they're not rising enough to cover inflation. We've got uh, war. We've got all kinds of political unrest around the world and even right here in our own backyard. And it's a little unsettling. And it's unsettling financially, too, when you consider inflation and gas prices and just going to the grocery store can be triggering, if you will. There's good news, though. You have options. Gold and silver are options. And the only company I trust when it comes to investing in gold and silver is Legacy Precious Metals. Now, gold provides a hedge against inflation. It protects against a weakening dollar and investors are turning to gold. So why shouldn't you? And it's not as complicated as you might think. It's pretty simple, really, if you get the facts. Legacy Precious Metals can help you with all of this. With a phone call or checking out their website, LegacyPMInvestments.com, you can figure out how this can work into your portfolio and how it can help secure your retirement. Remember 2008? Those who invested in gold saw huge gains. Others lost their retirements. So I'm going to recommend you pick up the phone and call Legacy Precious Metals. Here's the phone number. It's 866-528-1903. 866-528-1903. You can also speak to a Legacy Precious Metals uh, IRA expert. They'll answer all your questions. The other thing you can do is download their free investor's guide at LegacyPMInvestments.com. Remember, it's a free investor's guide. Just go to LegacyPMInvestments.com. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-702-5400. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now 
800-702-5400. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-702-5400. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So, Jessica, what did it take? What was the turning point for you? How did you escape your quote unquote owner? Uh, There were a lot of different steps. Again, it's in the book, um, but just a quick recap. And we want to encourage people to get the book. No question. (laughs) You know, I just wonder if if someone's listening right now who who's saying I'm stuck. What what was your first step? It's not even really first step. I think it's a series of steps. It's a series of emotions. It's kind of almost hitting rock bottom, so to speak. And I I don't usually like to use hit rock bottom because, I mean, we're already there. It's just levels of it. Um, I had to literally run and I had to fight for my life for months to get out and to get away. Um, And I was able to leave one day and get a hold of a phone and reach out to my mother. And I was able to, we were able to find a a program for me. And that was one of the first steps, even though I still went back into being re-exploited, the exploitation looked a little different. And a big part of it is when someone's leaving and say they're in a safe environment, the safe environment does not feel safe because we're not accustomed to sitting still. We're accustomed to always moving. That's how the exploiter wants us to be. And so if we have a support system or, you know, there's an agency like Saving Innocence or, you know, a number of agents, you know, there's a a few agencies spread out throughout the United States where, um, you know, they offer a lot of the same services that we do. Um, If we're able to get our hands on someone and we, we tell them, Hey, you're safe. You're this, you're that come with us. Um, we're going to wrap around you. We're going to care about you. We're going to love you, which we do. Um, it feels good in the moment, but when everything stops and you're left sitting with yourself, that's when it's the most terrifying. It's how do you work through that? Because of all that trauma of all that moving of all that running, um, it, it takes it takes a lot to fully and successfully be able to lead the life. Um, and so we've had the kids that have gone back and forth, and that's very common, and it's very normal, and it's very usual. And when you have adults and you have people in your corner that are willing to stick with you and walk with you and shield you, um, over time, you start to find that peace. And you're able to say like, okay, you see, you, you, yeah, you seem like you're breathing pretty, pretty well. I, I, I'm sitting here in awe of what you had to do and that you're standing strong. Alan, the, the book again is called men fight for me, the role of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation. What, what is it about men that is so key and crucial on the authentic. First of all, why don't you describe authentic masculinity for us? What, what you mean by that? Yeah, no, this is a great question. Um, authentic in order to 
say something as authentic, there must be something that's an inauthentic version, a counterfeit version, a diminished version of whatever it is you're talking about. And what we're seeing played out around the world in our country today in a lot of different settings, especially in this setting that we're talking about today, is a counterfeit, cheapened, diminished version of men who are going down this dark path and thinking somehow it's okay to abuse and exploit and use other people, oftentimes children. And so, um, you know, if you can define and isolate any problem, whether it's something in your body or your car or your house or whatever it is, if you can do that, now you have a chance at finding the remedy. And so there's no question the biggest part, biggest part of this problem is men. Men are most of the buyers. Men are most of the sellers. It's us, guys, all of us. We're either actively participating or passively just allowing it to happen right under our nose. And so that's the spirit of the book. Uh, Jessica was on a panel uh, with some other people years ago, and one of these survivors next to her said in the middle of her trauma, I could no longer fight for myself. I needed someone to fight for me. So that lit me up. So we combined all that. The problem mostly is men. I have a survivor on the stage saying, I need someone to fight for me. Okay, I'm a man. I'll fight for you and you and you. So I approached Jessica and a number of other amazing uh, survivors and professionals, and we created this book. It's for everybody. A lot of women are reading it and loving it. Um, but there is a special emphasis using my male voice. Um, not man shaming, not, you know, you know, be beating up men, but um, saying, hey, come with me on this journey. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you some things you haven't seen before, and I'm going to introduce you to some heroes. And so it's, it's challenging men to step into the authentic version of themselves. We define that. You know, there's four pillars of authentic masculinity we talk about in the book. And we're just calling men to a higher standard. Like, step up. Get up. We're meant for so much more. Let, let's go. We're meant for so much more. That's a really interesting way of putting it. It, it, it really is something when you think about how how much of this is men. You know, we, we saw Ghislaine Maxwell taking part in the whole Jeffrey Epstein story, and that's another matter. However, it was still Jeffrey Epstein who was kind yeah. of overseeing the whole bit. Um, what can men do? Like if, if there's a guy out there listening right now and he has, he's never exploited, he's never taken advantage. He's, right. he's just a guy. Yeah. Uh, what, how can he help? Well, obviously he can go to the website, but how, what can, what can people do? Yeah. And we did create a separate little website called fightforme.net, and you can get the book there. It's on Amazon, but you can get the book there, but take one more step and go to that website. There's a lot of resources and other kinds of things to help in the process. Step number one, Jessica and I are hoping people will get the, it's not a shameless book plug, uh, <laughs> but we are hoping that people will read it and get more educated. That's the first bullet point of, of your question. A man can get a little bit more educated, find out what it is, find out what it isn't, um, learn some of the correct language around it, learn the scope of it, just get a little bit more empowered with some information of what it is. And then what can they do? The short answer, I know we don't have, you know, five hours to unpack that, but the short answer, I'm, I'm calling all men, to step up into this, face it, look at the problem, and then find whatever it is that you can do and apply it to that. Like you can have us on your podcast. You didn't start the podcast in order to talk about human trafficking. You already had it. And you're making one of your episodes available to it. So we're asking men to take their talents, their gifts, their resources. Maybe they're you know graphic designers. Maybe they're who knows what they are. Find a local trafficking agency. Ask them what they need. And then do that. Start there. And even before you start there, it starts in your own home. Be the right kind of husband. Be the right kind of dad. <clears throat> the, the little girls and the little boys in your life are desperately needing a visible, 
expression of authentic, healthy masculinity, because every single version they're being streamed at them through the Internet and social media and in the movies and sports figures and everything else. It's mostly a diminished, cheapened, counterfeit version that ultimately leads to destruction. And so we need your you men. You're a good, decent man. You're out providing for your family, doing the best you can. Look in the mirror and make sure your life is in sync with the non-exploitive culture that you want your daughters to grow up in and you want your, your sons to emulate. It starts there. There's so much more to unpack, but that's kind of the, the quick answer. Well, it, it's a good one. I mean, it, 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 it just reminds me of Michael Jackson's song, Man in the Mirror. And it, uh, you know, you start there and that's a, a pretty fine place to start. And, and by living it that way, you then turn into an example for every other man yep. around you or woman. And yep. I think there has been this, you know, we hear the term toxic masculinity thrown around. We right. hear about the, you know, we know that police are being vilified for, and in some cases, in some cases, justified, uh, not in all cases. And now we have this diminished police force across the United States. You know, obviously each municipality, it seems to me, is losing people. They're not able to retain police officers. I've talked to police officers that are just, they feel beat down. They feel that they can't do what they're supposed to do with their job. And they feel as though everyone's looking at them as the bad guy. And yeah. it's really hard to do your job when morale is, is that low. Yeah. It, are you working in any way with first responders, police officers, whether it's FBI, whatever it is to, to, is there a counter to this? I mean, I, I don't know how we tell these men it's okay to be authentically masculine. Well, sadly, um, the narrative that's out there, it's not just that there's toxic masculinity. It's that all masculinity is toxic. That's sort of the politically right, correct right. placement. And I push back vigorously and say, no, we don't need less masculine men. We need better masculine men because there are men out there causing great disruption around the world. I saw a little meme or something the other day. I don't know if it was a real study or just a joke, but it seemed to bring true. It said 80% of all problems are caused by men. <laughs> and I laughed and I thought, oh, geez. oh well, I mean, that's actually probably correct. And, and, and actually might be a little low. I mean, can you think of a major significant problem around the world in our country where there's not a bunch of knucklehead men behind it? It's like, I don't know. I don't think well, so. I can think of some, knuck I can think of some knucklehead women uh, pretty of quickly too, but of course, having but said that, you know, I'm an equal opportunity <laughs> knucklehead identifier. So yeah, no doubt <laughs> there, there certainly are knucklehead women, but, uh, but yes, I mean, it, you know, I, I don't mean to diminish what you're saying. It just seems to me that then if you say men are 80% of the problem, they're going to just throw up their arms and go, well, what do you, what do you want from me? Yeah. Well, and we talked about it a minute ago, and I want you to step up and um, be a leader in your home in a healthy, positive way and let your kids see a good example. Let, let the kind of music that comes in your house and the kind of things you're on TV, the kind of websites you visit, let all that line up and sync up with a non-exploitive culture that isn't at the end of the day abusing or exploiting somebody else. Start in your home. That's what you can do. Uh, support a, a work around you, close to you, that is also doing that you know, uh, taking care of vulnerable people that are being abused. Start there. Take baby steps. Let's have a big vision. Yeah, let's change the world. But first, let's change your house and your street and your school and your neighborhood, and your community. We get enough men and women. We're not excluding women from this argument at all. The problem is anything right, I go right, to right. 
if I go to some kind of a training or some kind of a meeting, it's mostly women are there. Great. Keep doing that. Let's add to it a bunch of strong, uh, healthy, positive men. And now we got something right. that, that is going to be formidable. I don't know if either of you is familiar with Tim Tebow. It seems to me his dad has has gotten involved somehow in, in human trafficking. And are, are either of you aware of what's going on with Tim Tebow's dad? Not so much his dad as Tim also. I've been, I've been on the phone a couple of times, not with Tim himself, but his foundation, and they're getting very uh, interested yeah. and focused on trafficking stuff. So a little bit, yeah. I, which is very cool because yeah. that's a big name and a very yeah. uh, recognizable face and organization yeah. to have supporting this cause and just bringing attention to it. I mean, he's got a massive yeah. social media following. Yeah. He's, you know, he's he, he is a great example, I think, of authentic masculinity, yeah. uh, it, you know, and he does it without braggadocio, braggadocio or, or yeah. um, he's very, he's just, he's charismatic. He's generous. Yeah. He's kind. He's obviously a, a very, a man of faith, yeah. but it seems to me that he is one of those bringing attention to this issue. I, I want to get back to Jessica before we l run out of time, because I'm so impressed with where you are today. Are you, do you ever look at where you are now and think, how did that ever happen to me? And how did I get out of this? It's, it's, it's gotta be a little bit surreal, but that's from me standing over here, never having experienced what you did. Um, I just feel blessed because my life could have gone in a severely, a severe, bad direction um, worse than what it was. And so I don't, I know that I'm removed from it. Um, but the thing is, I still have to deal with everything that I've gone through for almost those 10 years of my life, you know, and I have to right. constantly work through that. And that one of the things is with survivors of trafficking is we have to deal with this for the rest of our lives. We have to get the work done. We have to wrap around our, our, uh, be wrapped around by our support system. We have to constantly deal with it. Um, I always say that we're always a, a foot in and a foot out without us even knowing it because sometimes it only takes one tragic event, one messed up thing to potentially push us back that toward that direction and not so much of the working part, but just dealing with the wrong people, falling into the wrong crowds, getting lost somehow, some way. And so I, I, I wouldn't say surreal. And I think for some, it really is right in certain situations. But for me, it's just, I am blessed, you know, and I continue to do the work every day and, try to stay connected to my support system as much as possible. And for me, um, I think I'm more introverted. Um, and so it's easy for me to isolate, which was one of the things that I went through being exploited was being in isolation to a heavy degree. And so understanding those things, you know, Alan or another one of my friends, someone will be like, Hey, come have dinner. Hey, what are you doing? How are you doing? Like there are certain things to kind of keep me going. Um, so that way I don't get lost in my own little cave and you know, I, there's a, it's hard for me to get back out. So I feel as though I'm heavily blessed, you know? Um, yeah. It, 
It's amazing that you say that. It's I think people need to recognize that. You're sitting here and to us you just you right now to me you look strong, which is so positive and amazing, remarkable. But clearly you've got stuff in the you've got memories, you've got a whole you know, like you said 10 years of your life that was another way and you have to still deal with that just as say an alcoholic has to deal every day with, you know, trying to stay sober or someone who went through any other kind of abuse, emotional abuse, um, child abuse has to deal with it. It's part of who you are now. And I'm wondering how much of your work helps you process that because it often, you know, when you're reaching out to someone else and talking through this stuff, how much does that help you? Uh, my, my, it's like a double edged sword sometimes, right? Sometimes it can be triggering, um, but I have great people set around me where they're like, oh, you need a break, you know, even if I can't call it myself. Um, and then a lot of times it is healing because I get to move in different ways and I get to help. And so one of the things I always looked at was, okay, I obviously went through this for a reason, you know, and I didn't know what the reason was back then. Um, and I actually fell into this work. I never intended on working in the anti-human trafficking realm. I was, I went to school to be a nurse because of my grandmother. So, and was doing it like okay. working on doing nursing and fell into doing this work. And I guess this is where I was called. And so throughout all of this, there has been a lot of healing. There has been a number of relationships formed. Um, there has been a high level of growth. And I was able to give back to people that were just like me or have survived things just like me. And so sometimes, you know, they'll say it's not healthy to see yourself in another person. It's projecting or whatever the case is. But certain situations and circumstances that someone goes to through, it hits something in me. And I'm like, OK, I know what this is. So how can I be of service to this person? So I'm I'm giving I'm being of service to someone in a healthy manner, which that's surreal. Right. As opposed to being in the life where I was being of service to people in the most harmful way possible and did not have a, an actual choice. And now I have a choice and I get to help kids, yeah. which is our, our, our generation that's going to take care of us. And I get to help them become as healthy as possible, whether it was through direct services or whether it's through administrative services, training, whatever it may be. I'm blessed enough to have my hands on a little bit of everything. So um, it's just, it's been a blessing. And that is a surreal part. Is um, that, that beautifully said, I, beautifully said. And I, I, you've gained an admirer in me for sure. And I'm sure everyone listening to this, and obviously you've got a great support in Alan and a co-author. And I wish you both a, a lot of success with this book. Men fight for me, the role of authentic masculinity in ending sexual exploitation and trafficking you can also go to savinginnocence.org to find out maybe how you can contribute, help in any way mm -hmm. against what is a, a really big problem in America that so many people just don't, maybe just can't accept that it actually exists. Yeah. You guys, thank you so much, Alan and Jessica. I, I am so appreciative of having you on, and I, I hope we sell your, I'll tweet out the book title. Thank you. Uh, and, and a link to the Amazon spot, because I think this is important. And hopefully we'll drive some traffic your way to the websites. You're doing great work. And um, I, I hope people recognize that. Thank you so much for joining us. 
Thanks for having us, Michelle. Really fun. And appreciate you opening up your network and your platform for something so important. And we're honored to be here. Thank it, you. It, it's been my honor. It's, it is so important. Folks, this has been Sideline Sanity. I'm Michelle Tafoya. Be brave. Do good. And check out this book, Men Fight for Me, The Role of Authentic Masculinity in Ending Sexual Exploitation and Trafficking. Very important topic. See you next time. Well, we always appreciate it when Charles Thorngren can join the join the podcast and talk a little money and gold in particular with us. Gold and silver. And Charles, it's these are mad times. I mean, it's just really wacky. And anyone who's watching the stock market is probably asking themselves, what do I do? I don't I don't know, you know, I'm not I don't know how to ride this roller coaster with everyone. And so, obviously, you recommend investing in precious metals. What's the first step that someone should take in learning about what precious metals can do for them? You know, the, the first step, um, give us a call, right? We're, we're going to show you what options there are available. Um, that's what Legacy is about, is showing you options and, and educating everyone. The important thing to know is that we don't invest in gold and silver because it's pretty or because it's, it's unique. Those things are true, but we do it because it has the history of being the true diversity for someone's portfolio. It's the insurance policy against everyone's retirement and their uh, their savings. So, so this is why we look at, at gold and silver specifically. It's the currency that was always meant to be, right? It's not a fiat currency. There's no um, inflationary effect on it. Gold and silver are going to be worth what they're worth. The thing that changes with everything is the amount of dollars it takes to buy that gold and silver and the amount of dollars you get for owning that gold and silver. That's the big key. And this is what people don't understand about it typically is that it is not the stock market and it is not the dollar. It's an investment that is counter to both of those. So it gives you true diversity and balance is what everyone's looking for right now. They just don't know it as inflation gets higher. This is where gold and silver come in. Someone is saying, okay, I want to do this, but I want to choose one or the other. When they call you and ask you these questions, when would you recommend gold and when would you recommend silver? You know, that's a great question. And what a lot of people wind up doing is actually doing a little of both because that's possible, right? But it's going to depend on your specific investment parameters. And that's one of the things we're going to do that we're, we're different from your typical stockbroker because we're not going to say, this is what all my customers are doing. Because that's not what's important. What's important is what matters to you and your portfolio. When is your retirement coming up? What are you looking to accomplish, right? What are your risks? What are, what are, your, what are your safety features that you need? So there's a lot that goes into it. And what we do here is, is talk with you, right? Our, our big thing is to educate you so that you understand why you're doing it as well as in what form and fashion, because that's important. It is important. And I think, too, that people, people probably think uh, I'm a small investor. This is not <laughs> for me. I can't I can't afford to do this. I can't afford to do this at a level that will benefit me to them. You would say what? Um, I don't think you can afford not to. If you have money saved and you're not flush with cash, it's more important than ever for you to make sure that you put yourself in a protective situation, right? You have less to lose 
So you should not lose it. It's, it's really, you know, it's, it's not about how much money you have or don't have. It's about how much protection you need. And if you don't have a, a very large portfolio, then you probably need it more than the guy who does because you can't afford that loss. And look at what the market's done over the course of the year. We are talking about a situation where the loss is extravagant and it's not done yet. This is why we look at uh, precious metals to counter that. And lastly, Charles, for those who fear that a recession may already be here or is coming, what do you tell them about how in a recession this investment helps out? Great question. A couple answers there. We are in a recession, um, but the reality is it's not going to get bad for a few more months. Then it's really going to be bad. What we see happen next year is going to be devastating. Just think 2007, 2008, right? The troubles with 2008 happened in 2007. It just took time for it to hit the market in a real sense. And this is what we see. You know, we have inflationary numbers that rival the 80s. Um, That's something that's going to be dramatic. So when we look at this, we say, why do we want to do it? And that's exactly why. It helps because it's not the dollar and it's not the stock market, right? This is the safe haven investment. And if you look at long-term wisdom, that's what metals do. They give you a place to store your wealth without the effects of inflation, right? Inflation is good for your metals. The stock market correcting is good for your metals. A weak economy is better for your metals. So that's what it's meant to do. And that's why it has its place in the economy. We're talking about a worst case scenario right now. But even under the best of terms, the government tells you 2 to 3% inflation is a good thing. And at 2 to 3%, it doesn't sound bad, right? But over the course of your retirement and your lifetime investing, if you go 40 years, you've lost over 120% of value of your dollar by not having metals. So even in the best of times, there should be some in your portfolio. And during the worst, you really want to make sure you get a hold of somebody who can explain why and show you what options you have. Yeah, that's why we love to recommend Legacy Precious Metals on our show, Sideline Sanity. So the website is LegacyPMInvestments.com, LegacyPMInvestments.com. You can also go to the website and find the phone number to call, learn a whole lot more. It's just worth asking some questions, right? A quick phone call and getting more information about everyone's specific situation. Absolutely. We're a no-pressure organization. Everyone who contacts us, they reach out to us. We share information. If it's right for you, great. If it's not, that's great too. Learning something never hurt anybody. No, that is true. (laughs) And we're glad we had you on to learn something from you today, Charles Thorngren. Again, it's LegacyPMInvestments.com. Please go check them out. Just ask some questions. Learn a little something. Thank you so much, Charles. My pleasure. Thank you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. Flynn 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.